We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. All right, welcome this evening. Let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, please, if you have a Bible. And if you don't, we have some in the back. Uh, John can direct you to one of those there in the back by the computer. Uh, welcome if you're uh, viewing online tonight. We're glad that you're doing that and trust you'll be edified by it. <clears throat> um, we're in Acts chapter 2, and last time we went over the sermon that uh, Peter gave, the first preaching, I called it, of the church. Uh, and we looked at the content of that, kind of just went through it almost like he did, but we pushed the pause button a couple of times just to think about what he was saying regarding the uh, quotation uh, in Joel uh, regarding the issue of tongues, I think, and um, uh, the issue of repentance and uh, things like that. Baptism, we didn't get into that too much. That wasn't my point to get into that theological debate at the time. But tonight we're going to move into the last few verses of the chapter, and that's in chapter 2, verse 40. And so let me read those to you. After Peter's preaching, it says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. That's where we ended last time. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. This is the first day that the church ever existed on the earth, and you have 3,000 people coming to faith in the Messiah, in Jesus, at that time. And it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all. Here's the operative phrase, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. One moment, please. I'm just going to get a little water. Um, So the newly born church here did a number of key things that by way of example, a church today should be careful to have in its own life. Now, I would be careful to say this, that not everything that did happen in the early church should happen in our church. Tongues, for example, miracles, signs, wonders, those things that are mentioned there were for the infancy of the church, but they are not operational today. But... There are a large number of things in this passage by way of explicit 
teaching and example, certainly, that were happening in the early church that should happen today in every church. And the title of my message is, What's a Church to Do? What's a Church to Do? And the truth that I've extricated from the passage is, and this number keeps going up as I think more about it. I had 10, now it's 11, and I could make it 12, but it's 11 indispensable actions needed in every church. 11 indispensable actions needed in every church. I don't know how many of the 11 we're going to actually get through tonight, but I'll try to um, move us along. First of all, if you look in chapter 2, verse 40, it says, With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And I draw from that that in every church today and in the ministry of every church, there needs to be the preaching of the gospel, okay? The preaching of the gospel has to happen in every church. It's not an option. You can't say, well, we're going to be a church that's focused on social improvement or we're going to be a church that's focused on political engagement to the omission of all of, of, of other things, these 11 in particular, and in, in the first one of them is to preach the gospel. <clears throat> Verses 40 and 41 are the conclusion to the sermon that Peter preached. And when we went through that sermon last time, we didn't really focus on this notion, but the, no, the notion that when Peter preached, this was a summary of what he said. And then it, went, it goes on in verse 40, and Luke is saying, look, he also said a whole bunch of other stuff. I, can't, I didn't record all of it here for you, but that was a portion of it. Many other words he used to testify of the gospel and to exhort. And by the way, that preaching of the gospel is that twofold, has that twofold aspect to it. One, testifying. You know, here's Jesus, or here's the Messiah in the Old Testament. Here's what happened with Jesus, and the two are equal. That's to prove that Jesus is the Christ, testifying. And then exhorting people that because, uh, because Jesus has been made Lord and Christ, That's what he said at the end of the sermon. And because now is the time of salvation when it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, whether Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. When those things are true, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, and God made this same Jesus Lord and Christ, then it's urged upon us to respond in faith to that Lord and that gospel. His point was that the people needed to be saved. Simple, right? And, And to be saved from what? You see that at the end of verse number 40? To be saved from this perverse generation, this crooked culture, this wicked people, that's what he's saying. You need to be saved out of that. If you want to be associated with God, guess what you can't be closely associated with? The wicked generation. Does that make sense? Now, of course, listen, we have to live in the world. We have to buy stuff at the store. We have to talk to people. We have to have a job. We have to go to school. We don't have to go to the worst schools, though. Um, and that sort of thing. But, so we have touch points with the world. In fact, later on, one of the points that I'll make is that we have to interact 
with people that are unsaved. But that's an entirely different matter than jumping in with both feet and getting all wet, you know, in the swimming pool of the world. No, it's like, I, I, don't, I don't like water. I'm not saying I don't like water. I'm not a boat person, but I'm saying that's what the world does. I'll be content to, you know, walk around on the, on the deck around the pool, but I'm not going to go in the pool, you know. So you can't have a close kind of partnership with the culture that's evil if you're going to have a close partnership with God. You can't say, I have this master and this master, two masters, that sort of idea, okay? So we don't want to be associated with the evil culture in a kind of partnership relationship. So we have to be saved from this perverse generation, and to be saved from it means that you're going to be somewhat distant from it. Now, Peter's sermon boiled down to the fact that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. See verse 36, I alluded to this just a moment ago. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. I think we made a little emphasis on that last time that if you were one of those Jewish people who cried out with the Pharisees, crucify him, crucify him, and then you're sitting there listening to Peter and saying, uh-oh, this guy that just rose from the dead, I was one of the ones that said to crucify him. I'm, my goose is cooked. What do we do, they said. And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Christ. Instead of saying crucify him, instead of being against him, be with him. Jump in with him and be baptized, be identified with him. So what he had said all leading up to verse 36 was the build up to that truth that Jesus is Lord and Christ. And no matter how much you try to deny it, facts are not on your side if you're a denier of this truth. There's a mountain of evidence that demonstrates that the man Jesus is in fact the Christ and if we're to take the Bible at its face value in any sense, he is also Lord. Peter added that this Messiah was the one that the Jewish people wanted to be crucified. And so they replied with, what should we do? Given the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and we wanted him to be crucified, what do we do? Well, Peter says, Repent. Repent and be saved from this crooked culture that you live in. So that's the first thing that the church does is they preach the gospel. We, not they, we. Not, not, let me say it this way. We, not me. Does that make sense? Let me explain it again. I'm not the only one that preaches the gospel in this church. And Jansen's not the quote-unquote understudy who preaches the gospel in this church. We're just two guys that are trying to help you to preach the gospel to everybody else in your life. You have family, friends, neighbors, children, parents, and so on and so forth that need the gospel, and we're trying to help you to know how to share it with others. Here's a great example. I used another one on, uh, on Sunday when we talked about Hosea. Remember the sinner's prayer in Hosea? Take these words to God, you know, uh, forgive our iniquities, basically. Take away our sins and be gracious to us. That's a, a way to uh, share with your family. You can pray to God that way. So 
We're, we're sharing the gospel. We do that as a church, all of us. Secondly, what does the church do? We baptize new Christians, verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, how did they know the souls that were added to them? How did they know those were real souls? Well, the most accurate way they could tell is if this person is willing to testify publicly in baptism, then they're one of us. Now, obviously, sometimes people are baptized and it's, they're not truly Christians. And there are some cases when somebody's not baptized and they are a Christian, but they should be baptized. You with me? But how are you going to know? Well, if somebody says, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm with you, but I'm not willing to be baptized, I don't think the Bible teaches I need to be baptized, I'm not going to be baptized, then you say, well, to that measure that you're unwilling to be obedient to Scripture, then I'm unwilling to lend credibility to your profession of faith. Does that make sense? So they knew that people were added to the Lord if they were willing to be baptized and actually went through uh, with it. So these new Christians are baptized. They're water baptized, dipped into water, dunked, if you will, into water, and uh, thus testify, we identify with Jesus, we've been buried with him in baptism, we've risen together with him in new life, and this is one of those two ordinances that we've often talked about. Now, I could branch off and talk about a whole study on baptism. We do that in our baptism class. Okay, so I'm not going to go through all of that now. That'll be for if you haven't been baptized and we go through the baptism class, then we'll teach all that material. But this is what the church is to do, to preach the gospel, to baptize new Christians, and then... Thirdly, the third action of the church out of our uh, list of 11 here tonight is to welcome in new converts to the church. And that's the adding part in verse 41. That day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then in verse 47 it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, uh, when I thought about the word add, I wasn't necessarily just thinking about it in mathematical terms, although I like math. 3,000 souls were added. We also need a way today to add new people to the church in, uh, in, in the sense of adding in terms of increasing the population of the church. Okay, When you have... X, you want X plus Y. <laughs> you want more people, okay? We, we don't want to just move people, swap people, recycle people, trade people, steal people from other churches, right? We want to add, okay? Uh, not just add and subtract. Ultimately, this addition is done by the Lord. If you saw that in verse 47, it says, and the Lord added to the church, that's interesting, isn't it? The Lord added. How does the Lord add? The Lord adds by poking somebody on the shoulder. When they hear the preacher preach the gospel and the Spirit of God says to that person, hey, you hear what he's saying? That's you. You need that. And you respond. That's what happens when the Lord adds you to the church. You respond in faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. So now, if the Lord adds, um, and he's the one who does the adding, then we should do a couple of things with that. We should, first of all, pray that he adds. Pray that he adds to the church. Lord, would you please add to our church? We ought to be ready to have additions to the church. We ought to ask him to help us to do what he has assigned to us to make that happen. Okay? Does that make sense? He adds, but we preach the gospel, we baptize new converts, we welcome people into the church. If we're not preaching, if we're not baptizing, if we're not welcoming people in, then do you think God's going to be adding to this church? No, he'll add to some other church perhaps. Maybe add a few you know, here or there, but addition is done by the Lord, and so because of that, we ask God to add, and we ask God to help us to do the things we need to do to make an additive environment. But we also need to add people to the church, not in the sense only of increasing the population, but also adding people to the church in the sense of integrating them in to the ministry. Okay, are you with me there? So adding in a slightly different sense. Now, this is somewhat easier to do, I believe, in a smaller church with people who are diligent. But let me just say it this way. I'm surprised sometimes when I say to person X, have you met person Y yet? Oh, no, I've seen them around, but I haven't actually said hello to them. And so I say, okay, well, let me introduce X to Y and put them together, and then I walk away because now it's up to them to, to get connected and that sort of thing. Um, we have to keep improving in that area. I or the deacons or Jansen or whoever should not have to take everybody and pair them up with everybody else and say, hey, have you met this person? Um, we can help do that, but I hope that you won't be, oh, well, I know, like I was, shy as all get out. I wouldn't introduce myself to anybody. I'd just come and sit in the back and be happy to hear the message or hear the lecture or whatever it was. And So I know how that is, but I want to encourage you to take off that little shell. And all you have to do, it's easy, just go up to somebody, stick out your hand and say, hi, my name is Matt. And if they don't know what to say, then say, well, what's your name? <laughs> what's your name? <laughs> At least you can get started that way, right? So we want to add by increasing the population, and we want to add by integrating. Now, I've only touched the surface of integrating. How do you integrate people into the church? Well, first of all, you get to know one another. You talk. You enjoy fellowship a little bit, socializing and things like that. But then what about, well, hey, brother, why don't you come with us to this ministry that we're doing? Or, you know, hey, sister, we'll come on over sometime and let's uh, you know, bake cookies or go out and shop together or, or go to the park and hang out with the kids or, or whatever, you know. Uh, how about, you know, we have this ministry that we're doing at the art fair and we'd love to have you come by and sit with us for an hour or two and see how it goes, you know, because maybe next year you could be involved for a shift or, you know, know what that's all about. So integrating into the ministry of the church. So... There's, there are three things so far. Number four, it says in verse 42, 
and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. This can be translated several ways. It could be um, they continued diligently or they devoted themselves to the, uh, and the order in Greek is the teaching of the apostles or the doctrine of the apostles. I think we might think of those as very different things, but they're really almost, it's very synonymous to say. The teaching of the apostles is the things that they teach. Um, it's the content of their teaching. So they continued in the teaching of the word in the church. Now, notice the church, the thousands of people now, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And I think the translators have done a nice job to say that it's not that the church continued teaching, that the apostles continued teaching, but that the disciples continued in the teaching. So here's the difference. We could have a church where we say, look, the leadership in this church, we teach X, you know, doctrine of justification by faith alone. We teach uh, the Bible is inerrant, and we teach God is triune, and we teach God is long-suffering, you know, all the good stuff, everything, fine. But it's a different matter to say, the, the we being exclusive, we teach, versus the we inclusive, all of us, we believe all that. It's not just that the guys that are in the pulpit teach XYZ doctrines, it's that the whole church believes it, and we continue in it. Does that make sense? So we continue in that. The teachers must teach correct doctrine, but it cannot stop there. The people of the church must embrace that teaching and live it. To continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine does not only mean actually the mechanical thing of teaching it, of communicating it, but it means believing and doing it. The Bible never divorces um, you know, teaching and the mind from belief from, from belief from action. Your true beliefs are shown by how you act. Okay? That's just the reality of it. And we can't kind of slice it and say, well, I believe that, but I do something else. No, what you do actually shows what you really believe. And you say, well, pastor, I have struggled with that. Yes, you do sin, but you really believe it's not right to do. So what do you do after you do that sin? You repent of it. You confess it. You say, I know I was wrong. I fell into temptation. I shouldn't have done that. And I come back to the Lord. And so you're, then you are showing what you really believe. You're really believing that was not right that I did that. And I'm getting straightened out here and confess my sin and repent of it and so on. So we want to continue believing and doing. Okay. Let me give you one more, and that is in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and here it is, and fellowship, and fellowship. And then I'll drop down to 46 because I've combined these together. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And what I drew from this is that they were continuing in fellowship and regular meeting together as Believers, fellowship is sharing, sharing time with each other, sharing life with each other, sharing work, ministries, activity, prayer, 
even some hobbies, you know, work together. That's fellowship. And it also includes gathering together for worship. In fact, I could say, I almost did this, but I said, no, I'm getting, 11 is enough already. I could go to 12. I could say fellowship is, is one and gathering for worship is another one. If I wanted to really make more points, I could do that. But I was saying, well, they're kind of, they're fellowshipping on, like on Sunday. We gather, we share in worship. On Wednesday, we gather and we share in prayer and Bible study. On Friday morning, what do you do with other Christians on Friday morning? Monday night? But that's what fellowship is. Fellowship is, it's not just come to two meetings or three meetings a week at church and that's your Christian life. Christian life is life. It's that you get together with a brother, you have a meal with somebody else, you call somebody on the telephone and have fellowship with them, you pray with somebody who's in the hospital. You get my drift here? That's what this is all about. It's gathering for worship, fellowship that way, and it's getting together and doing things with other believers fellowship that way. You know, the non, the the small group, two people, five people, 10 people, not 80 people or however many you have in your church family. So fellowship and in uh, gathering together for worship. Okay, so what I'm trying to say here is these things were true in the first weeks of the church's life and they must be true now in What is it? July 19th, 2023, 2,000 years later. They need to be true in our church too. They're not options. These are like, this is what the church is. If you don't have, like if you take away most of these or, you know, 85% of these, what do you have left? Like you don't have a C-H-U-R-C-H. You might have a C-H or a C-H-U, but you don't have the whole thing. You know what I mean? So essential ingredients for the life of the church. Next time, we will see uh, six more of these ingredients.